The Eagle and Child, Episode 2. Mere Christianity, Book 1, Preface, Part 2. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is the podcast where, each week, I share a beer with my friend Matt, and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis. Or C.S. Lewis. Or Jack, to his friends. My name is David, and today in the podcast we're going to be continuing to work our way through mere Christianity, and in particular, the preface. And I'm going to be joined once again by my fellow C.S. Lewis enthusiast, Matt. Thank you, David. And as always, it is a pleasure to be here. And as we mentioned last time, the preface, as you already have experienced, is packed with great stuff. This is a continuation of it, so I'm excited to unpack it further. And as we mentioned in the inaugural episode, we are not C.S. Lewis experts. We just love this guy. So if you have issue with anything that we say or anything that C.S. Lewis says, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, at Pints with Jack. So in the last episode, we discussed the preface where Jack talks about the history of the material, how mere Christianity began life as a series of radio talks, and also the kind of book that he's trying to write about this idea of mere Christianity, how he's not going to help you choose a denomination. And we began to look at why he says he didn't address certain issues. Sometimes he says he was on the fence, other times he wasn't. And if he doesn't address an issue, you can't even tell if he thought it important or unimportant. Well, we're now going to pick it up once more. And he begins by mentioning two particular issues he's not going to talk about. The first one is the Blessed Virgin Mary. Here's what he says. The Roman Catholic beliefs on the subject are held not only with the ordinary fervor that attaches to all sincere religious belief, but with chivalrous sensibility that a man feels when the honor of his mother or his beloved is at stake. Contrawise, Protestant beliefs on this subject, it seems that the distinction between the creator and the creature, however holy, is imperiled. <laughs> uh, he seems to get it, though. Uh, I think he understands both sides very well. He does. I mean, I remember during my time going to a non-Catholic church, I was very jumpy whenever anybody mentioned Mary. But since I returned to the church, I recognize what he says about Catholics as well. If any of you have read my website at all, you'll know that I write about Mary. If you've listened to any of my talks, you'll know that she's quite often mentioned. And it didn't actually begin that way. I actually had no intention of writing about the Blessed Mother at all. I had reached a sort of intellectual peace with Mary, and I could accept the doctrines, but I wasn't too attached to them. That was until I would write an article and I would mention something about Mary, and then a drive-by apologist would hone in on that particular topic. And what kind of a guy would let someone speak badly about a lady, huh? <laughs> Especially his mother. And so I would naturally respond and explain her role in salvation history and why I think that she is such a wonderful lady. And I noticed that this actually built up my love for the Blessed Virgin. I like that. that. chivalrous sensibility, as Lewis calls it. I like that. And I'll, I'll leave the theology to you without getting into any of the queenship, the New Eve, the Ark of the Covenant mm -hmm. arguments, if you guys look into that. But I will say from personal experience, I was similar with the journey. I, when I came to the Catholic faith, I found the beauty in adoration. I found the beauty in the Eucharist, the sacraments, but I never really gave much thought to Mary. Fell in love with her. She's become the most important part of my faith, uh, obviously outside of Second Christ. Second only to Jesus. 
in the Trinity. <laughs> but praying through her, not praying to her, but praying through her in those intercessionary prayers, she has been instrumental in any sort of vice, temptation, sin that I have ever, um, I don't want to say overcome because you never, it sounds like you're perfect or you've overcome all these things, but they've been able to fight successfully. And if anyone is truly interested in learning more, I would say it's completely worth your time. Absolutely. And you were referencing their biblical typology, the idea of Mary being the new Eve, mm-hmm. the Ark, the new covenant, the queen mother. A really great book on that is Scott Hahn's Hail Holy Queen. It's very good. And actually, I give a talk where I address most of those areas. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. But Jack says he's not going to talk about her because she would be the perfect topic to ruin a book about mere Christianity. <laughs> and us talking about her right now is a perfect t- topic to push people away from our podcast. <laughs> yes. If you're not Catholic, please stick with yeah, us. Yeah, please stay. <laughs> and the other topic that he says he's not going to talk about is contraception. Now, this is really interesting, particularly given the period of time in which Lewis originally gives his talks and then as the books themselves are progressively published. Because something very important was happening in the Church of England around that time, and it was the Lambeth Conference in 1930. So what happened here is, well, let's backtrack a little bit. Up until that point, every Christian denomination said that contraception was a no-no. If you actually go back and read, say, some of the fathers of the Reformation, people like Luther, Calvin, even John Wesley, you hear them speak out against contraception with such force, way more than any pope. So this is a universal Christian belief at this point. But at the Lambeth Conference in 1930, the Church of England made some small allowances in extreme situations for a married couple to contracept. But it was a crack in the dam. And over the subsequent years, that crack got wider and wider. And denomination by denomination followed suit to now you're at the point where really the Catholic Church is the only Christian church which says that contraception should not be allowed. It's even made large inroads into Eastern Orthodoxy. So with this backdrop, contraception is obviously an important issue for Catholics. But here's what Lewis says. He says, I'm not a woman, nor even a married man. So how he's beginning, this could sound like a lot of arguments you hear today. You know, what's some celibate guy over in Rome got to say about what goes on in my bedroom? You're not a woman. You don't get to say anything about my body. But Lewis goes on. He says, I'm not a woman, nor even a married man, nor am I a priest. So he's implying that if he were a priest, he might have to say something. (laughs) He then goes on. He says, I do not think it my place to take a firm line about pains and dangers and expenses from which I am protected. Once again, more Lewis humility and something that even for people who have very strong opinions on this subject, I think could still do well to to learn from. But he then ends by saying, and having no pastoral office which obliged me to do so. So once again, he's saying that if you were a priest, if he had a pastoral office, he would be obliged to speak more clearly on this subject. Now, I'm going to commit a C.S. Lewis cardinal sin that he asked us not to do, which is make (laughs) assumptions. But on a cursory reading, you might think he's in line with the moderns. I don't know about you and any of the listeners who are reading this, but I was reading this sexual morality chapter, Mm -hmm. and this guy takes a strong stance on what is marriage, 
What is a sexual union for? Talks about it being open to life. I might be reading into this confirmation biased, but <laughs> just saying. I think you're exactly right. <laughs> I find it very hard to read those those chapters in book three where he talks about sexual morality and Christian marriage. He sounds like somebody who thinks that marriage should be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Yeah. Now, given the fact that he says he's not going to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary and contraception, it's therefore kind of amusing that he actually received most of the heat from people on his use of the word Christian. Kind of bizarre when you think about it. Yeah. So what he said is some people responded by saying, who are you to say somebody is a Christian? Couldn't so-and-so be much closer to the spirit of Christ than this person over here who affirms the doctrines of Christianity? And Jack responds in typical Jack fashion by looking at words. So what he does is he traces the understanding of another word, gentleman. He says that once upon a time, gentleman was a descriptive term. Told you that this person had a coat of arms, had landed property. And it didn't say anything about that person's moral character. You could say this person was a gentleman and a liar. That wasn't a contradiction. Just in the same way that you could say that... Uh, John is a good man and has an MA. It's just a statement of fact about what that person has. But he said over time, people asked the very good question, well, surely it's about the behavior of the gentleman. That's what really matters. And he said it was very, very thoughtful, very spiritual. It was anything but useful. Because when gentleman now meant whether or not you really liked somebody, whether you thought him a good man, you just drained that word. They might call it deepening, but you drain that word of all its meaning. If you describe somebody as a gentleman, all that really said is that you liked that person, that you thought them good. And we had a word for good before. It was called <laughs> good. And so he goes on and says, when a word ceases to be a term of description and becomes merely a term of praise, it no longer tells you the facts about the object. It only tells you about the speaker's attitude to that object. A gentleman, once it has been spiritualized and refined out of its old, coarse, objective sense, means hardly more than a man whom the speaker likes. And so he goes on to explain that if we could do that with the word Christian, if it no longer means somebody who believes in Christianity, but more of someone who embodies the spirit of Christ, Christians can't actually use that word anymore. And it's because of that one verse that all non-Christians know and love to quote Christians Judge not, lest you be judged. Because what that is really speaking about is the interior disposition of the heart, which Christians are commanded not to judge. And so if you're going to reduce Christianity to that interior disposition, Christians can't use the word. Yeah, which, yeah, that's a challenge. That is a, well, another one of, I, we're probably going to say this 50 times throughout these podcasts, but the challenging <laughs> things that Lewis states just pierce you in such a good way, in the same way that whenever I read the Gospels or hear the Gospels, it challenges me. But that's an important point to remember. It's very easy to fall into judgment. Judgment of other sins connects with Lewis's talk on temptations, uh, judging what people are doing that you have no relation to, no no experience or understanding of the struggling they're going through. And so... For me personally, I just think, wow, I need to not judge near as much. And I think of, if you've ever seen the movie The Shack, which, mm -hmm. yes, there's obviously plenty of theological things we could go on about. Um, yes. Well, yes, but well, you know that book, I loved that book when I was in high school because 
there's a scene in the movie, if you remember, where the Holy Spirit takes uh, him to this this chair and this cave mm-hmm. and shows these background images of this father who was abusive, but then his father that abused him, and then the whole chain of history that you can't see as a person. And it is a very powerful scene because it reminds you that you have no idea what someone else is struggling with and what caused them to act the way they did. Not trying to justify it, but empathize and understand and realize that you know there's more here that you don't know. And but for the grace of God, there go I. Exactly. And we'll definitely circle back to that in book three. Oh, I'm excited. And my favorite line in this section is that Lewis says that when a man who accepts the Christian doctrine lives unworthily of it, it is much clearer to say that he's a bad Christian than that he is not a Christian. <laughs> Which you're still judging <laughs> by saying he's correct, but you're still, you're a bad Christian. No, all you're saying is that the actions are not what you would expect from a Christian. Because yeah. we can look at an action and we can say if that is something that that's true should be in accord with christian behavior or not yeah. what we can't do is look into another person's heart have you ever said that before oh, he's he's catholic i think but it's kind of a bad catholic no just me Uh-oh. no just you just you <laughs> Ooh, this judgment issue and really i'm now immediately feeling a sense of pride thank you for that matt <laughs> get back satan But he says, it's not for us to say who in the deepest sense is or is not close to the spirit of Christ. We do not see into men's hearts. We cannot judge and we are indeed forbidden to judge. It would be wicked arrogance for us to say that any man is or is not a Christian in this refined sense. Ooh. Every now and again, he just doesn't hold back. No. Wow. I'm in trouble. And so he says, Christians were those who accepted the teaching of the apostles. Although it is a little bit of a loaded term. It does kind of beg the question, well, what is the teaching of the apostles? Yeah. Which one route is scripture, mm-hmm. sola scriptura. But one thing that I've been getting into, and David did not mention this, our friendship in part was developed by C.S. Lewis. Ironically, I would say what caught my eye more when I met him, I just started digging into the early church fathers, Polycarp, Clement. These people were 90, 120, 140 AD. These are the people that were the disciples of the disciples, particularly John, who lived the longest. And so there's a chance to figure out what the apostles taught too, because what did their disciples end up implementing in the early church? So if you're really looking into learning more about teaching and doctrine and what the apostles taught, I'd argue it can't be maybe held to the same weight as the canon in Scripture, but you can find a lot in the early church fathers. Mm. Because in Catholic theology, we talk about the deposit of faith, everything that Christ taught the apostles, which they in turn taught their disciples. And they taught in part through the written word, what we now call sacred scripture, and part through sacred tradition, through oral preaching. So it's all tradition. It's just some of it gets written down, and that's what we call the New Testament. Doesn't Paul say... 2 Thessalonians 2.15, he says, Stand firm into everything I've taught you, either by letter or by word of mouth. So you do run the risk of opening up another can of worms when you talk about a Christian as anybody who accepts the teaching of the apostles. Yep. (laughs) So let's just go back to mere Christianity. (laughs) We're going to struggle with this, I think. I'm sure. As as we said early on, we're both Catholic. We both love it. We'd love everyone to be Catholic. Uh, But at the same time, we can still recognize the, the commonality, the fact that 
What unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. But if you have Catholic questions, we're going to want to give you some answers. David is ready to destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a priest on speed dial who I can get a confession to. <laughs> so as we come to the final few pages, we come to my favorite part of the preface. And this is where Jack explains that mere Christianity is not a replacement for the existing creeds and the existing denominations. And he develops this beautiful metaphor. He describes mere Christianity as like a hallway in a house. When somebody accepts mere Christianity, they come into the house, they come into the hallway. And Lewis explains that he wants people to go into a room. This would be a creed, a denomination. And he says that this is where there's a fire. This is where there's fellowship. This is where there's food. He's making the point that mere Christianity is not a denomination in its own right. It's one of my pet peeves. Sorry. You get, over the course of this podcast, you're going to find how irritable I am. I get very frustrated when I see someone's Facebook page and under religion, it, they've written mere Christianity. Or I'll meet somebody and ask them, oh, what church do you go to? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm what C.S. Lewis would call a, 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 a mere Christian. It's like, did you read the book? <laughs> He's, he says that you're, you're waiting in this hallway. He says, it's not camping. This is not where you live. He says, even the worst of rooms is better than living in that hallway. He says, it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. The hall is a place to wait in, a place from which to try the various doors, not a place to live in. And what's wonderful is he explains how you should choose a room, that it shouldn't be based on taste but truth he says you must be asking which door is the true one not which one pleases you best by its paint and paneling the questions he says that we should ask ourselves are are these doctrines true is holiness here does my conscience move me i really like this description the hallways the rooms in this last point choosing it based on truth at the end of the day david and i love the catholic faith and we'd love to invite everybody into this room because we think it's incredible. Oh, yeah. We, we've got a lovely fire. Uh, our fellowship is sometimes not great, but we're working on it. But as for the meal, we have the best meal going. Oh, the Eucharist. Yeah. In fact, we have the same caterers as the Eastern Orthodox and the Coptics. <laughs> but, but what I'd say is you obviously hear us talk about the Catholic faith. We love it. But if you're going to choose a room, as Lewis said, please choose it on truth. A lot of times I hear, you know what, I, I like the worship here, or I like the people. And worship and people are great, but remember, you're picking it based on the teaching. Is this truth? Because truth is what's so important. And from a Catholic perspective, Catholic, please stop talking about how awful homilies are. <laughs> like, yes, of course, I wish every priest could be a wonderful homilist, but that's not why we're going to Mass the beauty of the Eucharist, celebrating, going back to that moment, uh, the resurrection, uh, that sacrifice, the crucifixion, it is just so beautiful. And so I think this just hits that nail on the head. And I think he's, he's warning us against, I've heard it called ecclesial consumerism, or sometimes just church shopping. And I can't remember if I ever sent this to you, but there's a guy called John Christ. He's a Christian comedian, and he had a couple of spoof episodes called Church Hunters. It was based on house hunters, those property programs where uh, a realtor shows people around a house and points out all of the features and to try and find their, their dream home. 
So in this sketch, you have somebody showing them around these different churches and the quotes in it were fantastic. You know, the guy was saying, yeah, yeah, this church is pretty current. Actually, just this year, the pastor started untucking his shirt. <laughs> there are a bunch of side exits here just in case you need to leave early and catch the game. You know, you can do that. <laughs> and one, one, of, one of the couple, the, the husband, he said, the pastor's main point, it was 157 characters. I can't tweet that. <laughs> and there's this wonderful bit at the end of, of, of one of the episodes where he said, we felt a little too convicted after that sermon. We're more looking for something inspirational, you know, like a TED talk with a Bible verse. And we have to say, and we're laughing here, kind of making light of it, but at the end of the day, this is not, this is for our own good. Like Lewis's point is to help us because mm. at the end of the day, if we're choosing church for those reasons, we're missing out on a lot. Oh, and this is, this is, this is a problem that is not by no means restricted to non-Catholics. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, oh, my goodness. And in fact, I think it might be a really good ecumenical effort for different denominations to get together and both complain about the quality of donuts served after the Sunday service. <laughs> the homilies. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, I shouldn't say this because... Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Because people probably back home will end up listening. But a hometown church had a new had a new priest who was wonderful. And after the Eucharist, when he's up by the altar and putting back the chalice, he cleans them out actually, which you can do after Mass, is what a lot of people do. So it adds about a minute to the time you're kneeling after you receive the Eucharist. And he's received a ton of complaints. And I, I appreciate his response when he stood up to everyone and just said, Is it that hard to spend another minute kneeling in front of our Lord. And so we are Catholics are very much not immune to this. <laughs> and Lewis ends the preface with advice I need to keep rereading. He says, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and to those who are still in the hall. If they're wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. That is one of the rules common to the whole house. Such challenging stuff. And it, it reminds me actually of a section in the Screwtape Letters. So the Screwtape Letters, you have this senior demon writing to a junior demon, giving him advice on how to tempt his patient, this Christian that he's uh, trying to get to give up the faith. Everyone should read this, by the way. And we will absolutely do it on this podcast. Yes. But he says... If your patient must pray for his mother, make him pray not for her bad back, but for her soul. Something nice and abstract. Don't actually just pray for her blessing. And I can't help but think of some of the prayers that I pray when I am technically praying for somebody. But it usually begins, all right, Lord, so... Obviously, I'm doing a great job in all of the different aspects of my life. <laughs> but that person over there, that guy, um, just fix him, Lord. Let him see the error of his ways. Let him see that really I was right. You know, just make him better. Make him do everything that he's doing, but just, you know, better. If this sounds familiar, it's because you hear a very similar sort of prayer in the Bible, in the episode of the Pharisee and the Publican. In this point on recognizing and being kind to people that aren't in a door yet, from the forward of mere Christianity, it says, Christianity is a way of life 
one that challenges us always to remember, as Lewis once stated, that there are no ordinary people and that it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Once we tune ourselves to this reality, Lewis believes we open ourselves to imaginatively transform our lives in such a way that evil diminishes and good prevails. It is what Christ asked for us in taking on our humanity, sanctifying our flesh, and asking us in turn to reveal God to one another. Just think about everyone you encounter. Every single person is immortal. This is going to be controversial, but conservatives, the liberals are immortal too. Liberals, <laughs> conservatives are immortal. And I feel like we've lost that today. Mm-hmm. That guy on that Facebook group who's clearly trolling you. <laughs> he is immortal. The person in the queue at the supermarket who can't find their credit card. Immortal. A little quick plug here if you're listening. Please listen to the David Foster Wallace's YouTube video, This Is Water. Incredible 20 minutes that talks about this. How you view other people and think about this. Incredible. Yeah. One of the first things we're told in Scripture is that man was made in the image and likeness of God. But it's one of those truths that we forget about awfully quickly when we go about our day and start interacting with people. Yeah. And there's something that Lewis talks about in this book that we're going to bring up later, where he, in his chapter on forgiveness, he says something that is extremely powerful. He goes, this is one of the most controversial teachings. And guess what? You can't just pick and choose it. When he talks about Christianity, he goes, this is just the way it is. I'm just describing it. This isn't like you can say, well, eh, I don't agree with this, or I agree with this part. Like, this is just Christianity. It was there before I was born. It, yep. It's right at the center of Christianity. I can't get out of it. Yeah. And so when we talk about things, maybe not some of the plugs that we're putting in, but what he's talking about and get a chapter like forgiveness, that's something that we have to follow. And it's, it's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. You know, there's another thing from the forward that I think is beautiful that I want to bring up here before we bring this to a close. It says, The great religious struggle is not fought on a spectacular battleground, but within the ordinary human heart. When every morning we wake and feel the pressures of the day crowding in on us, and we must decide what sort of immortals we wish to be. And ultimately, we got to become the person God is calling us to be. And this book helps us get there. Yeah, I mean, we could say this is an apologetics book, but it's also a devotional book. Oh, yeah. When I, read, when I read these pages, I regularly see the standard that I'm called to and how I fall short. It's that devotional aspect that was the strongest apologetic for me. Oh, and there's the landlord once again for last call. So we should probably finish up our drinks and get out of here. Please like, share, subscribe. Write us reviews on iTunes and Google Play. You can always contact us on my website, restlesspilgrim.net. And as always, please tweet us at Pints with Jack. Now, since different editions of mere Christianity exist and they have different forwards, we're going to skip over the forward. After all, it's not even written by C.S. Lewis. So in the next episode, we're going to be starting with book one. So we'll see you there at chapter one. Let's do the sign off. Further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers.